0: This is the Austin Life Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Good evening, y'all. It was really great to be with you. Um, again, my name is Walt Lingle, and I'm really excited to be here tonight. Um, this is my first time to get to come and check out what y'all are doing at Austin Life Church. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to what God word has for us tonight. Uh, a little bit about me, uh, and then we'll just jump right into the um, I currently at the Austin Stone Community Church, uh, and my specific role there is to help people get to know who we are as a church and what it means for them to meaningfully belong there. And I got the chance to meet with Corey just the other day and loved hearing about what you guys are doing together here. I'm an Austin-born native, born and raised and I have two kids. Uh, I think we've got a picture. Boom. Uh, So uh, Juniper is almost two years old and Finn uh, is not even two months and we live just north of here in East Austin. Uh, So tonight we'll be continuing through uh, the Psalms uh, as we want to paint this picture of who the Lord is. Who is this God that we follow? So if you've got a Bible, open with me to Psalm 32. Pull it up on your phone and we'll be there for the rest of our time together specifically tonight, uh, we're going to be looking at Scripture to see how the Lord uh, is gracious to heal. The Lord is gracious to heal. So in this text, uh, we're going to see how God shows us grace as a specific response to our sin. Right, this is a psalm that drills into the idea of confession of sin, or the lack thereof, and what that does in our relationship to a God of grace. So let's read together. I'll start in verse 1, and we'll just power through so it says this blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit for when I keep silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding. It must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. So in this psalm, David, the author, struggles through the process of confessing his sin to God. He describes his own experience in trying to keep sin hidden from the Lord, and what an encounter with grace through confession, when he finally gets around to it, uh, what that actually produces. So this struggle and encounter is where we begin to see just how God is gracious towards us. In particular, that he heals us when we confess, that he burdens us when we don't. And that's what we'll be unpacking tonight, that God shows us, heals us when we confess and burdens us when we don't. So we'll look at these two ideas from the text, apply them to our own hearts, uh, and then we'll be done. So the first point of grace we see is that God actually heals us when we confess our sins to him. Sin is nasty business, y'all. David describes the process of trying to hide his sin or pretend it doesn't exist. As feeling like his bones are wasting away, right? Still he fights it. Still he tries to endure. Day and night he tries to hang on, feeling sorrowful and groaning all day long. The text says, like, take a moment, just for a second, and like, can you imagine that? Imagine him like groaning 24/7. The people around him being like, "Hey, David, you you okay?" And be like, "Yeah, yeah, totally fine." Uh, like that being his experience Like him trying to hold it in But not being able to And what we see is this picture start to emerge Of the inner discomfort The inner turmoil And the anguish that unconfessed sin Produces in our lives Yet when David goes before God In confession What do we see? Verse 5, let's, let's look at it together It says I acknowledge my sin to you And I did not cover my iniquity I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what does he do? What's God's response? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David confesses, and God forgives him. He meets him in it and genuinely forgives the sin that he had been carrying around with him. One thing we see here is that the forgiveness and healing that the Lord graciously gives to us is immediately effective. We don't have to wait around and wonder what he thinks about us. We we don't have to uh, uh, think that he's just ignoring our sin or overlooking it. Because what we see later on in scripture is that he actually washes us clean from it. 1 John 1.9 says this. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This means... That in God's eyes, he doesn't see any spot or stain from sin. He's not going to hang on to any shred of that. And so we don't need to walk around holding on to the guilt or the fear of it either. And this is where the psalmist gets into describing what, what it actually feels like to encounter God's grace and forgiveness. Right? The forgiveness God offers, it's restorative. It heals. It feels like a burden being lifted. If we look back at the text, we we see it. Verse 7, it feels like being preserved and protected. Verse 1, it gives God's people reason to be truly happy, what the Bible means when it uses that word blessed. Verse 11, it causes them to rejoice, to shout with joy. What was broken is restored. What was hurting is healed. We get a glimpse of how this feels uh, in our own lives because we've tasted some of that uh, when we actually experience Sharing something that's been on our heart with someone in our lives. Right, this is why we talk about getting things off our chests or getting a burden off our shoulders. Because to carry around that secret, to carry around that sin, is crushing. It's crushing. And if that's true even when shared between flawed, finite human beings, how much more so with a perfect and loving, infinite God who invites us to be known by him, to confess to him, and find grace. So Abby and I have been married for about five years, uh, and I remember when we were engaged, we were going through a premarital counseling with another couple uh, at our church. And this is basically an opportunity to like, intentionally step in and talk about some of the different topics of in marriage, uh, and then work through all of the good, bad, and ugly that comes up in your heart along the way. But there's this point in that whole process that they encourage us to set aside a night before we got married to just confess to one another to fully disclose our lives, specifically to share any and all past sins, hurts, or brokenness in excruciating detail. No big deal, right? And I remember how terrified I was of doing that. Like, looking back through my story, there is a lot of mess, and I don't always feel like the good guy. So everything in me was anxious and wanted to resist being... Why? I was afraid that at this point, if I brought that up, that I would get rejected. That past sin, if I shared it, man, it would go from bad to worse and ruin the relationship that I had now. I wanted to hide. I wanted to pretend. But we did it. Uh, I shared my mess with Abby, and she shared her mess with me, and our relationship, our marriage, stronger because of it. And I'll never forget, for me, how much of like a moment that was. Like just to be relieved, to finally be honest about parts of my story, to not be hiding anymore, to not fear that some future joy in our relationship could be darkened by the shadow of something in my past. It really did feel for me like being lifted. God is incredibly kind in the way that he genuinely lifts the burden of sin off of our shoulders when we bring it to him. How he graciously heals people who are crushed by sin. We see this echoed later on when Jesus puts specific words to it in Matthew 11. He says, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." we can God gives us a, graciously, He gives us a way to restore our relationship with Him. He gives us healing when we come to Him. Our God of grace wants you to experience the healing that He has for you when you honestly tell Him you're broken, messed up. You're broken. It is the promise of Scripture. Some of us, honestly, if, if, if we're just going to be real here, we don't have that experience of grace double microphone but if we're real like we don't have that experience of grace we have confessed honestly before god and we don't feel the way that david feels somehow that feeling of forgiveness and healing eludes us we still feel crushed underneath the weight of our own sin and scripture tells us two things about this first There's the reality that we live in a broken world where we don't always feel or perceive rightly. And this is important because we live in a culture that says how you feel about something defines what is true about it. How I feel about myself defines what's true about me. How I feel about God defines what's true about God. Yet as Christians, we look to the words of Scripture to tell us what is true. In Romans 1, uh, it shows us that our minds and our hearts are broken because of sin, and we think, desire, and feel wrongly. So to some degree, we have to admit that living in a fallen world means that we sometimes won't experience the feeling of the full extent of God's healing grace for us. Even though Scripture says that these things are undeniably true, that we are genuinely forgiven that we are genuinely healed from our sin, that we are genuinely restored in relationship with God. The second thing that we see from Scripture is that God's promise, God's unbreakable promise, is that he is absolutely going to lift every weight and heal every wound in the end. The book of Revelation gives a picture of what that day will be like. In chapter 21, verse 3, it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. God says, I am going to make all things new when he brings his kingdom to earth on that day when he welcomes home those who have placed their faith in him. So even though we're not, we may not fully experience it now, God's promising that there is coming a time that he will make good on his promise to heal those who have confessed and sought his grace, and we will fully experience it then. But we also see from this psalm that God's grace and kindness goes beyond only offering forgiveness and healing when we willingly bring our sins to him. Right, in Psalm 32, we see that he also demonstrates his grace by burdening us when we don't come to him. His grace will pursue and burden us when we want to hide our sin. Look back at verses 3 and 4. They read, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You may initially read this and and think, that doesn't actually sound super fun or like much of a grace. Uh, But what this text is showing us is that God doesn't leave us alone in our sin. He pursues us even there to restore us. So what do we actually take away from these verses? First thing, God is going to keep us aware of the consequences of sin. See, sin wants to deceive us. It wants to trick us into thinking that it is actually good and helpful when it's the opposite. It's poison that wants to taste sweet on the way down. So when David is keeping quiet about his sin, God lets him feel the true effects of it. God lets him feel it. It causes him to waste away. It decreases his joy. It causes him to groan with sadness. It's one way God is saying, hey, I want you to see that this thing that you have chosen over me isn't actually what is going to make you happy. Our suffering in sin isn't God's cruelty to us, but because he actually wants us to see sin for what it actually is and to turn from it. It's actually his mercy to not spare us from that, but rather to make us painfully aware of the harm of sin. Not only that, God's grace will specifically burden us as long as we are stuck in our sin so that we would turn from us. He actually specifically burdens us so that we would turn from it. See, when David cries out about his anguish, he knows that it's God's hand pressing down on him. Look back at verse four. He says, for day and night, your hand. Not Satan's, not someone else's. It's God doing that. And he attributes the way that he is utterly sapped of strength and happiness to be God pressing down on him And it drives him to acknowledge that something's got to give. So when we choose to hide our sin, God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us alone and let us be free and independent, as if he respects us too much to interfere with our choices. His goal as our Heavenly Father is not to let us make whatever decisions we want, but to guide us toward true, deep, and rewarding life in him. Now, I'm no heavenly father, but as a new dad, I've uh, gotten to experience a little bit of what this feels like. So my daughter, Juniper, uh, is just old enough to be talking and communicating with us, which means that she is also just old enough to totally understand us and then totally disobey everything that we say. Uh, So when we're playing in our front yard, uh, there's always this negotiation happening because I want to keep her safe and happy as we play in the yard. So when she starts to walk towards the street, I'm going to tell her not to, because getting hit by a car is actually the opposite of safe and happy. And when she keeps walking, my tone's going to change, right? I'm going to get more insistent. I'm going to turn the pressure up. It's going to go from, hey, sweetie, come back to dad," and move into stronger and stronger words. The, the closer she gets to the road, the more intensely I'm going to confront her, and the more I'm going to make my presence known so that she doesn't have Any confusion about what I want for her. Now, would anybody watching this scene be like, hey, hey, dad, hey, chill out, all right? Chill. Respect the girl's decisions. If she wants to walk towards the road, let her walk into the road. I mean, she's her own person. No, I would be a terrible father, it would be a disaster. I'm not adding this pressure to my daughter because I hate her and want to trample on her desires and her freedom of choice, but because I love her so immensely and want her to be safe and happy. I want the forcefulness of my voice and my warnings to her to snap her out of it, for her to turn around and walk back toward me of her own free will, to where it's safe and we can play and be happy. And God is doing the exact same thing for us his children. He loves us so much that he is graciously willing to add pressure to burden us so that we come to the point of confessing and turning from sin that would otherwise destroy us, even if that ends up feeling like greater hurt in the process. What's amazing is that God has the strength to utterly crush us when we rebel in sin, but he doesn't. He only wants to apply as much pressure getting to that point that we desire to turn from sin and draw near to him. His grace is insistent, but it's gentle. Not not soft, just using only as much strength as is necessary. And David's instruction later on in verse 9 is for us to respond to that willingly, not to be like a horse that has to have a bridle so that it will go the direction that you want it to go. That's not how God wants to relate to you. But he's not going to leave you alone in your sin. Now he does this in a variety of ways, right but at a minimum, this means that if you are a child of God and his spirit lives within you, then day in, day out, he is going to put tension and discontent in your heart on account of unconfessed sin. He's going to add to your inner anguish on account of your unconvin- uh, unconfessed sin. When Jesus talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit in John 16. He says this, and he says, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Part of that inner turmoil that you're feeling is because God is convicting you about your sin. And he's not going to stop until that sin is brought to light. Because he knows, he knows that when you turn, you will find healing and joy and life in him. It is His grace to burden us when we want to hide in our sin. So, what do we do? What's our response from this psalm, from knowing that our God is a God of grace? And as we wrap up, we have to ask what God wants our lives to look like in light of who He really is. If He really is a God of grace that heals us when we confess and burdens us when we don't, what do we do? I think there are two major things we can take away from this and then we'll be done. First, his grace here is meant to point us to a display a greater display of grace. God's ultimate display of grace is not that he listens to us in our confession or that he pursues us when we wander. God's ultimate display of grace is that in love, he sent his son Jesus to perfectly live the life that we could not, with no need to hide or to run from God, to go to the cross and die in our place, soaking up the consequences of sin so that his spilled blood could wash us clean. Not only that, so that Jesus could rise from the grave and prove that neither sin, death, nor anything else could keep him from restoring the ones that he loves. God's ultimate display of grace, how we actually know that he is a God of grace, is that the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died for you and makes a way for you to have a relationship with God. This is how we encounter His grace through confession. This is the way that we see a God of grace here uh, pointing us to His ultimate display of grace. It gives the weight and the substance behind healing and pursuing us. We see that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And second, we ought to confess. What we can take away from this text is that we should, as the people of God, confess and we should do it confidently when we come before him. Right? If joy is on the other side of confession, if if grace is real and the forgiveness we encounter is immediately effective at washing us clean, why would we come hesitantly? Why would we wait day and night while our bones waste away? Why would we not run to him in confession so that he would so that we would find the healing and joy that he offers. And if we're honest, like, our sin and our flesh and the lies we believe tend to get in the way. But God knows this. He knows your sins. He knows your weak spots. He knows that you'd rather hide than come to him. So he gave us Jesus. We don't have to wonder if there's a way back to God. The cross of Christ secured that once and for all. We don't have to fear that God will misunderstand us or look down on us when we get there, when we approach him. Jesus understands us and represents us to the Father. Hebrews 4 reminds us of this truth. It says, starting in verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus knows the mess of temptations that you face every day. And he knows the the mess of brokenness and sin that is the human heart. He lived that yet he did it perfectly and he never sinned but that doesn't cause him to be harsh with us no he sympathizes with our weaknesses he knows what it's like the result that we don't have to be afraid to go to god we don't have to be afraid that he is going to misunderstand us or be harsh on us he knows who we are and still offers grace when we come to him. So we can confidently approach the throne of God, the throne of grace, the text says, and find mercy and help. And what else is confession besides honestly approaching God to find what he offers there? Grace and mercy and healing. So ask yourself, where in your life are you not doing this? Where in your life are you hiding sin and wasting away as a result? Wherever that is, whatever sin, whatever thing, whatever, uh, whatever it might be that just popped into your mind, don't let today go by without seeking God in prayer. Verse 6 says, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. God wants to be found by you now. He's invited you to come to him. Don't wait. Bring that to God and trust me, you will find him gracious and kind. Christian, where are you fearfully approaching God in your sin? Ready to flinch as if he's going to crack you for it. Right? Jesus already bore that cost on the cross. The one representing you sympathizes with you. He invites you. He has promised mercy and grace. So confess confidently, Not, not boastfully as if sin isn't sin, but humbly and with confidence that your God hears and loves you and has made a way for you. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I'm glad you've spent time looking at the Bible with us. Here's what God's word has for you tonight. God has made a way for you to be restored, to be healed, to no longer be crushed and burdened underneath your sin, to no longer hide that, to no longer feel alone in that. And it's through believing in Jesus Christ. Don't wait to seek him out. The psalmist didn't find healing, blessedness, or joy until he cried out to God. And when he sought God in this way, He found him. The instruction is to find him while he may still be found. We honestly don't know what tomorrow will look like. We don't. But tonight, God is inviting you to know him, to find grace and mercy and healing so that you can join in saying, blessed, truly happy, is the one whose transgression is forgiven. I'm going to stick around after service tonight, and man, if you've never taken that step of believing in Jesus, I I just want to say, like, I'd love to talk with you about it. I'd love to invite you to, to come find me after. But for all of us, let's leave here knowing that the Lord is gracious towards us in our sin, to heal us when we come to him, and to burden us when we don't. Either way, either way, it's out of his love and grace that he desires for you to find life and joy and blessing in him. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that your word speaks truth. God, that you are able to cut through our insecurities and our fears and our doubts in order to meet us where we actually are. God, that you would speak truth into our hearts tonight. Uh, God, is incredible. And so, Father, I pray that we would hear in this room and we would see what your word has for us, God, and that we would know you to be a God of grace. That you are gracious to heal us when we come to you. And that, God, when we run, when we want to hide, when we want to get out of here, when we want to think that we're strong on our own, God, that you are gracious to burden us to remind us that we can't. God, we can't deal with it on our own. So Father, I pray that as we continue to worship, God, as we continue to think on what you have done in our lives through Jesus, God, that you would help us lay aside every weight and just run after you. God, that we would know you more, that we would find the blessing and life that you have promised to us in Jesus. We would get to enjoy it. God, why would we waste any more time? But we need your spirit to help us do that. Help us to be brave. Help us to not want to hide anymore. Spirit, give us strength where we still feel weak. Give us strength to respond to you in this way that you've called us to in your word. God, we love you. Thank you for being a God like this. Thank you for being a God of grace who comes for us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.